Well, good morning. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. If you are new with us, especially if this is your first Sunday, we know that it can be different just showing up to a church for the first time and navigating everything, finding everything. Even maybe some of what we're doing today is unfamiliar to you, singing songs and now opening God's word and and preaching about who Jesus is, and a little bit later giving through our tithes and offering and, and all of these things. And we're just, we're really glad that you're joining into that. It's a big step uh, to take in your faith and your journey with Christ, and we pray it's a blessing for you uh, this morning. We are uh, starting really a, a mini-series called The Connected Life this morning, and I'll, I'll talk about what that means in a minute, but before we get into all that, you should have, Brad mentioned it if you were here earlier on in the service, uh, you should have gotten three things this morning. One is a bulletin uh, where you can take notes, find out what's going on in our church, and see highlights and all those type of things. Uh, as well as a, a verse card. And we've been doing this the last three weeks. We're going to keep doing it all through the fall of a key verse that we want you to, to saturate, to load into your mind uh, during the week. Because one week, uh, one hour rather, is not enough of that uh, for us to live and do what Jesus is going to call us to do in this passage. And so every week you're getting a verse card. Hopefully you got one of these. They're, they're kind of fancy and they look nice and they're going to draw your attention on your dash, on your mirror, on your fridge. If you're just joining us, use that. If you've been joining us but you're like, Tim, I, I don't think I ever take those home or I threw one away, stop. Just, just put it on your fridge, okay? Uh, we have some people in our church who made these, and, and the purpose is this. We've said it a few times, is that what you think about is what you care about. And what you care about, you will chase. You will follow, whatever that is. And so we want to load your minds with thoughts of God and truths of Jesus so you start to care about Jesus, so you start to, to follow Jesus, right? And so take advantage of that verse card. Then the third thing you got is this bookmark. You're going to need this. Uh, if you didn't get one, in fact, you want to offend me at all, go to the Connect desk and grab one. It looks like this. It's a bookmark. Uh, we're going to tell you more about what this is at the end of the sermon, but you're going to use this as an application of this sermon. So hold on to that for later. Before we get into everything, though, I want to give you an update and let you know something that's coming. One, an update on Harvey Relief. Last Sunday, we gave our entire offering away to, to Harvey Relief. We didn't take anything for the church. We just said, hey, we want to be generous and model that. So we gave it away. Uh, and we gave, you gave uh, $2,223. Yeah, so that's something you can celebrate. Thank you for gener your generosity in that. Um, we love just getting to model the generous heart of our Father in heaven. And that was just one simple way to do that. There'll be other ways to do that. We're going to give again in this service, and you can model the generosity of our Father in heaven. And, and so we talked about uh, that's going to be going to churches in Houston uh, on the ground who either need relief or are aiding in relief efforts. But we talked about we just don't want to give money, our treasure. We also want to give time and talent if we can. And so we presented this opportunity to possibly in January, maybe around MLK Day weekend, this is all tentative, but to send a team of people to be the hands and feet of Jesus in Houston and actually help with stuff. that The recovery effort takes six months to a year at least, and we want to be there when they're still recovering and still piecing things back together. And eight of you signed up to be a part of that. And so thank you for your generosity in that, your willingness to go on mission with Jesus in a place like Houston that needs his mission to be live and in front of them uh, in, in that place. And so we're going to go to Houston. And we have eight people that have said, hey, I'm interested in this. That's enough for us to start planning that. And so if you signed up, know this, we have you down. 
And as soon as we get details in the next couple months, we will send those to you. You'll be the first one to know. If you're saying, Tim, I wasn't here last Sunday or maybe I was wrestling with this, but I didn't want to be the first one to step out and go to Houston by myself, uh, you can still sign up for that today at the Connect Desk. We always mention the Connect Desk. It's just right through those double doors in the lobby. There's a desk, iPad, a computer. Uh, it's a form that I believe says Help Houston, and you can sign up for that. If you're already thinking, Tim, I can't go work, class schedule, I just can't do that, uh, there's a box for you to check to support someone else so that they can go. You could give financially, and so sign up for that as well, and we can be in touch with how to do that. And so there's Harvey Relief Update. Coming up, really excited about this, is baptisms. We get to celebrate uh, new life in Jesus. October 15th, someone in our church is going to get baptized, and so we want to make that available to anyone uh, who hasn't been baptized. If you're wondering what that is, we basically go underwater and come out of water to represent the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's new life in Christ, an external way to show an internal transformation. So that's October 15th. If you have questions about what baptism is, maybe you come from a, a different tradition. You were baptized as a baby, and you're like, I don't, I don't know how to navigate all this. If you have any questions about Jesus, uh, we'd love to talk with you again at the Connect Desk. There's a form for baptism. All you have to do is fill that out. You're not committing to anything at this point. Uh, we'd love to just follow up with you and walk you through this process. So those are two quick things just to keep you updated on, and then let's get into the message, the connected life. We are in the Sermon on the Mount, that's Matthew 5 through 7, three chapters, 107 verses, this, this brilliant, extensive teaching by Jesus that's all about the kingdom of God. And if you haven't been here the last three weeks, we define the kingdom as the rule and reign of God. And so the kingdom life, kingdom citizens, is about how we, we live as citizens under this, this king, Jesus. That as we look in the flow of Matthew, Matthew 4, Jesus says, the kingdom is at hand. He begins to say throughout the gospel, the kingdom is near, and, and it's near and it's at hand because the king is here, because Jesus is here. And so he talks about how to live in that, and he first talks about that we are blessed, that this is a blessed life in the kingdom. And so we just went through that, these first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5. And, and most of that was who you are as a follower of Jesus. And it was really a vertical relationship between you and God. But there begins to be a shift as we get into 13 through 16 in Matthew 5. Jesus begins to move from vertically in our relationship with God to horizontally in our relationship with others. It's the connected life. And so this portion that we're about to go through over the next few weeks talks about how we relate to other people. And this first section talks about how we relate to the world. So a big question, our question for the day is this. How do we relate to the world? How do we relate to the culture? It's a big question, isn't it? I mean, if you look at some of the things going on in our world today, that's, a, that's an important question to ask. And maybe you've asked it. Maybe when you're watching the news and some of the things going on in our world, and you're like, how do I interact with this? I mean, if you're a follower of Jesus, I know not everybody in here is, but if you say you follow Jesus, you trust Jesus, you're a Christian, you may have asked, how do I, as a follower of Jesus, interact with, with this? Like, what does that look like? And maybe just not on the news, but maybe just right around you in your workplace or in your school, and you, you see things, and things happen that are disturbing, or you're not sure, like, is that, is that 
what I'm supposed to be a part of? Should I step right? Should I step left? What is that supposed to look like? How do I interact with the world? Well, there's two typical ways Christians, churches tend to interact with the world, and one of them is to immerse in it, to immerse in it. And so that's where we as Christians, as, as churches, as traditions, we see where culture is trending, right? We see where the world is going, and we say, you know what? Like, the Bible was written a long, long time ago. No way God could have known this was going to happen, right? And so I'm just going to jump in the flow and ride the wave of culture, and so wherever it's going, I'm going to blend in. I'm going to fit in. And I still love Jesus. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I still believe in Jesus, and I, I still have Christian values. But you know what? If I have to adapt that just to fit in with the culture, like, that's just, that's being loving, right? And the church immerses in the world, in the culture. And then you have the other typical response is to exit the culture. That's on the other side completely. Uh, that's where we don't immerse in the culture. No, we get as far away from the culture as we possibly can. We hide behind things so we don't get hit by the culture, so we don't get the world on us. Do you see that? And so we provide a safe little bubble where we have Christian music and Christian schools and Christian T-shirts, and we're just hoping maybe we just hold on to our Bible really tight and we'll never get messy from the world. And I think a good question to ask is, which one of those are you drawn to? Is it immersion in the culture in the world? Is it exiting the culture in the world? Because the reality is this. All of us have a propensity to be drawn to one side or the other. So which one are you drawn to? We need to think about that and consider that as we get into our passage today because Jesus is going to blow up whatever side you're on. Right? He's going to shatter both of those sides, immerse and exit. But in God's grace, Jesus gives us a better way. And that better way is to not immerse, not exit, but to engage the world, to engage culture, to influence culture. So it's not immersion, it's not exiting, no, it's in engaging culture. And so he's going to show us what that looks like, and he does that through two images, salt and light. He starts us off in verse 13, look at the verse with me. He says, you are the salt of the earth. The earth. And so first, Look at that word, you. We're going to talk about salt, light, what all those things mean. Who is the you he's talking to? Well, remember from the beginning of the sermon, Jesus is on a side of a hill preaching. And the reason he's on the side of a hill preaching, the reason it's called the Sermon on the Mount, is because he's on this hill preaching because there's so many crowds before him. So he needs to get elevated and above so he can see all the people and speak to all the crowds. So as he says, you are the salt of the earth in this sermon... That's a plural you, all right? So instead of reading you, maybe you should think y'all, if you're from Texas, like I am. Or if you're from Michigan, you guys, right? Every time you see that, you should see y'all are the salt of the earth, or you guys are the salt of the earth. Y'all are the light of the world, or you guys are the salt, are the light of the world. This is a collective thing, a plurality of people. And so it's not just your personal responsibility as a Christian, to engage the world, be salt and light. This is our collective purpose. And it's so much of our purpose that Jesus says, it's not you should be, you are this. It's not a command, it's a declaration of fact. Jesus says, if you're a kingdom citizen, if you're a follower of mine, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It's so much a part of your DNA to the extent that Jesus says, if you're not doing this, you're no longer good for anything. 
Why? Because this is your inherent purpose. This is what we collectively are called to do as the church of Jesus Christ, as the kingdom, that we should be salt, light, engaging the world. That's your purpose. And if you're not doing it, Jesus says, you might as well be thrown out. You might as well be trampled on because you're not living out of who you are. And he says, just like salt is salty, a believer engages the culture. That is what we do. And so here's what that looks like. There is no plan B. You are plan A. The people of God, the kingdom of God, the church of God is plan A. There's not another plan. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It's just a matter of are we fulfilling that or failing in that? And so how are we doing this morning? How are we engaging the world around us? Are we trying to exit in fear? Are we just immersing in in fear and just, well, I just want to fit in? Or are we engaging? Because this is who you are. You are the salt. You are the light. This is God's call on your life. Y'all, you guys are it. This is God's plan. This is God's purpose. You see, I I have no desire to be a church who, who stays in a bubble. I have no desire to be a church who forms cliques, who debates secondary theologies, who sits around and argues about Hillsong over hymns and what color the carpet should be and if the service went too long or too short and did we get out in time for lunch to watch football and and maybe we should just do what everybody else is doing and that was a little bit too convicting, Pastor. That was a little bit too offensive. I have no desire to be a part of either one of those churches because that's not our purpose. Phoenix, listen, Phoenix doesn't need a church like either one of those, right? But you know what Phoenix does need? You know what I want to be a part of, what I want you to be a part of? We're three years old as a church in less than a month. You know what I want to be a part of for 30 years going forward is a church who says, hey, we're going we're gonna to uphold truth. We're going to love Jesus, but we're also going to engage culture. We're going to get our hands dirty. And we're going to engage people because we are the salt and we are the earth. Phoenix desperately needs a church like that. Phoenix needs lots of churches like that. They need more and more churches in every pocket and every part of our city that are doing that. Because that is unique, church. That is something we're starting a new church over and being three years in and navigating, uh, coming to a space that doesn't open an hour uh, later and we have to find out and figure out how to get in here. It's worth it to have a church like that. Amen? That's what we're building. That's what I want you to be a part of. That's not just what I am painting a picture of. That's what Jesus is calling you to. This is who you are. Y'all, you guys are this. And so, why salt? Why does he use that image as he helps explain this to us? Well, salt does a few things. One, it's a preservative. I I don't know how you roll around your house, but when we go to the grocery store, we come home and we put the groceries away, and I help, uh, but I also look and and tuck things away in the back of my brain that I want to eat later. You do this? You're just like, man, that that looks really good. And you're putting that away, and you're just like, I'm going to eat that later. That's going to be fun tonight. Um, (laughs) 
Maybe that's just me. I don't know. But, but that's what I do. And, and here's what ha- sometimes happens at our house is, is I'll do that. And then a couple hours later, I go to find that steak. And it's not in the fridge. Right? Or even some, like, sweet bread that I just want to eat. Not now because we're on the Whole30. That's another story. But um, that steak right now I can't eat. And, and I go to look for that in the fridge, and it's not there. And I, I go to my wife, Jaya, and I'm like, hey, Jaya, where's the, the steak? And she's like, oh, I put it in the freezer. I'm like, I... I'm hungry. I want to eat that now. And she's like, well, I'll put it in the freezer because we're planning a dinner for Wednesday night. And I'm like, okay, all right. You know, my wife, God bless her, she's a saver, right? And so she's planning out our meals. Luckily, she does that. Otherwise, we wouldn't eat, right? We would just eat everything that day of because we have three kids, and that's how we roll. (laughs) Um, but, But why does she do that? Well, she has a plan, and she wants to preserve it. Because if she just put it in the fridge, it wouldn't last as long. Well, a lot of us can't relate to this, but back in the day, they didn't have freezers, right? But they had salt. And so it was a precious commodity that you used on things like meat, on other things, to keep it, to make it last, right? And so salt is a preservative. It helps things last. Here's why that's a big deal. is because as we look at our world... Just like meat will and vegetables will, our world will decay without things to preserve it. And as you look at our world, it is decaying, isn't it? I mean, you don't have to look too far. I don't, I don't need to give you some stats. Right? You just need to look personally. Maybe when you got up this morning, you hurt a little bit. I know for me, I'm 35 years old, and there's some things that hurt when I wake up in the morning that didn't hurt 10 years ago, Right? And I didn't run the day before or lift weights. It just hurts, right? And, and some of you can't relate to that, and that's because you're in college. And just wait, right? It's coming for you too. But, but our bodies are decaying personally, right? We're, we're decaying socially. Uh, my daughter, oldest daughter, is in third grade with eighth grade problems. Parents, can you relate to that? Can I get an amen? I mean, Things that they are dealing with as kids. I mean, I told my wife the other day, my my daughter came home with some things, and I just thought, I thought we weren't going to have to deal with this till the teenage years. She's in third grade. And the things she's being exposed to socially, the perversion, uh, the racism, I mean, you name it, what she hears about at school and the questions she comes home and asks us as a third grade girl. I, I didn't think we'd experience this till 15. That our culture is decaying. Do you see it? It's not getting better. It's decaying. And so we need to be the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth so that you can step into the decay. And say, no, 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 we're going to make this last. We're going to bring some light and love and truth to preserve this. We're not going to let it decay. We're not going to go down that road socially, personally. We're going to bring in the kingdom of Jesus into the earth and preserve because we are salt. That's one use of salt. The second use of salt is it's attractive. It's flavorful. It adds flavor to our food. Yesterday, uh, my son, who's five, had his first soccer game. And the soccer field he plays on is right by an intersection of, of a main street. And it's right at the corner. And, and if you can imagine, little five-year-old boys and girls playing soccer, running around, kicking the ball. There's always this little scrum that breaks out, right? 
because they all get in a little huddle, but they're just going after it, except for one moment. It all stopped. You know why it stopped? Fire truck. Fire truck went through the intersection, full sirens, and immediately the kids stopped kicking the ball and doing all those things, and it was, I'm telling you, it was like zombies, right? Walking Dead, have you seen it? It was like just they gravitated towards the fire truck. It was like a magnet, right? All except for, this is just a side note, has nothing to do with this illustration, but my son saw the ball sitting over there by itself and all the kids distracted, and he went over there and kicked it. (laughs) My savvy little athlete. It's a proud moment as a dad. But all the other kids were attracted to this fire truck. And that Jesus is saying, you are salt not only because you're a preservative, because you should be attractive, flavorful. That people should be drawn to you like a magnet. That, that they stop what they're doing when you walk into the room. Listen, not because physically you look awesome or you've been hitting the weights or you're all yoked up coming into a new semester, college students. Not because of any of those things, but because of your disposition of your heart. You have a kingdom disposition. You're blessed. You're meek. You, you mourn. You hunger and thirst for righteousness. And as people get to see that, I'm going to go talk to that guy. That's different. That's attractive. I wonder what he has to say about my life situation right now. That we should be like that because we are the salt of the earth. And and let me try to give you a visual. This is why we can't immerse or exit. And so if we're, if we're salt, I don't know if you've ever just had salt over here by itself. Maybe you had a spoonful of salt. Maybe you thought it was sugar. If you did, that's a whole other set of problems too. But I don't know how you may have had salt by itself, but it's not good, is it? I mean, you just, yuck, you want to spit it out. If you poured too much salt in your food, you want to spit it out, right? Well, just in the same way, salt by itself, a spoonful of salt is no good. If you come over to the other side and you do have some food and you think, man, I just need some salt, and you forget to flip it on the holy end of the shaker, and it just dumps out on the food, that's not good either. And so you have exiting culture where you have the salt by itself, not touching any food, and then you have immersing in culture. The salt is just dumped on food, and it's too much, and it's just gross. And neither one of those salt is flavorful or attractive or good, is it? That it's only when you have salt that sprinkles down, salt-based style. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Just the perfect blend throughout your food, Bouncing off your elbow. I don't know if you guys have seen this. Somebody pointed this out to me this week. This guy just bounces salt off his elbow, and it just delicately glows throughout all the food. Wow, exactly. It's amazing. But, but this is what Jesus is talking about, that, that we should, as, as Christians, the salt of the earth, we're not by ourselves. We don't just dump on people. No, we scatter it throughout in our workplaces, in our schools, in our friendships, in our communities, and we sprinkle salt. We say, hey, this should be lasting. You should look at the love of Jesus. This should give you joy. You you should see these things in my life, this blessed life. It's not what you think it is. You should see this and that people are drawn to that. You see, what Jesus is describing is distinct, not distant. Distinct, not distant. Do you see the difference? That nobody can be drawn to you, nobody can gravitate to you if they never see you. If we're over here separate from society, separate from culture, they're never going to be drawn to that. 
that if we're going to be salt of the earth, we have to rub shoulders, not run away. So we have to engage culture as salt scattered throughout it, and then people begin to be drawn to that. What does that look like? Colossians 4 helps us with this. It says speech, our words, should be seasoned with salt. So if we're supposed to be the salt of the earth, and our speech, Colossians 4, is supposed to be seasoned with salt, what does that look like? Well, it looks like that means we step into conversations. That means our words, they don't decay, they lift up. They encourage. They point to the life and love of Jesus. Right? They're seasoned, sprinkled with salt in every conversation. Right? And so that means that we don't get into conversations and demean other people. We don't demean women or, or other races or other personalities. We don't, we don't belittle people. We uplift people. We don't just complain all the time. We don't step into a conversation and everybody else is complaining. And we're like, you know what? That's a great point. I got some complaints of my own. That is decaying conversation and decaying words. But we don't just ignore that. We don't exit. We don't just say, well, that's, that's kind of scary. I don't know if I can enter into that conversation. You hear what she said? The cuss word? I don't know if I can enter into that. No, you enter in and you say, hey, why are we talking about this? Are you concerned about that person or are you just gossiping? Hey, why, why are we just complaining all the time? Did, do you not realize, like, God's mercies are new every morning? Hey, guys, you know, I was thinking about this today, and this was encouraging for me today. Or uh, Jesus, just speak the name of Jesus, and that will help, right? That our speech should be seasoned with salt every conversation. This is what you and I are as kingdom citizens, as followers of Jesus. We sprinkle salt through every conversation because we are the salt of the earth. That's one way we engage the world. The second way Look at verse 14. We engage the world as, as light. It says this, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And, and I want you to think about, he mentions light several times in multiple ways. Think about light for a moment. What does light do? What is light doing right now? It's drawing attention to something, right? That light illuminates. And Jesus takes multiple ways to explain this, which I thought was interesting. I don't know about you. That I would have imagined in that day, just like in our day, different kinds of lights, but we kind of know what light does, right? That light shines, that it illuminates something. It draws something to the surface. It navigates where we should go. It gives us guidance. That light does all those things. And so why does Jesus have to say it's not hidden? It's like a city on a hill. It's like a lamp in a house. It's like a light for others. Why does Jesus emphasize that so much? I think it's because he knew our propensity for darkness. Then and now, that we would want to hide, not illuminate. Charles Spurgeon, a great old pastor, said this, Christ never contemplated the production of secret Christians. Christians whose virtues would never be displayed. Pilgrims who would travel to heaven by night and never be seen by their fellow pilgrims or anyone else. Christ never talked about that. That your relationship with Jesus, it's personal, but it's never meant to be private. It's meant to be put on display. 
and that our propensity often is to hide, to stay in the dark. And so Jesus is going to explain multiple ways. You are the light of the world. It can't be hidden. Don't put it out. It has to shine. Why is this so important? It's important because just like our world is decaying, it is dark. That we live in a world driven by fear that is lost in the dark. That we have problems that we don't have solutions to. And so in the dark, we medicate. We medicate. We escape because we're in the dark. And we know some things are wrong but we don't want to shine light on it. There's some things wrong with us. There's some things wrong with our world. And we're like, I don't want to shine light on that. I don't want to think about that. I want to ignore it. I want to escape it. I want to medicate it because we're we're in the dark. You know those moments when you were a kid and it was dark, maybe just now as an adult and it was dark and you were fearful and you had some anxiety and you felt lost. But the minute that light turned on, what happened? calming effect throughout the room, right? You begin to see, oh, oh, that's where that was. Oh, that's how I get there. And you're just calmer because the, the lights are now on in the darkness. You see, this is the way Christians should be. You, you all, you guys, y'all, you're the light of the world. That you're to be put on display, draw attention to, remove yourself from the darkness, enter into the darkness, and shine a great light. Now, as you, as you hear that, it almost seems kind of arrogant, right? Like, can I get some more lights in here? Can you guys shine some more lights in me, at me? Right now, you're uncomfortable because you're like, is he serious? That's kind of arrogant. And it is arrogant if we don't understand the progression, Right? So here's the progression. I want to give you a picture of it on the screen. As we look at verse 16, look at it with me. We see that our light shines, but it's to shine on good works. And as we do these good works, that other people would give glory to who? The Father. So the progression is this, that we should illuminate. We shouldn't hide in the dark. We should draw attention to what? Good works. And those good works don't stop with us, but they point to God. Do you see that? It's a full progression that Jesus takes us through. And so what are good works? I think this may help some of you. One of the things we say at Phoenix Bible Church is love moves. I've shared this story with you before, uh, but when I first met my now wife uh, on a college campus, college students, it can happen. Keep the dream alive. I met my wife, I actually just saw her. She walked past me, smiled, and waved. And that's all it took, right? I went home, I laid down on the couch, and I talked to my roommate, and I said, I think I'm gonna marry this girl. And he said, bro, she just waved at you. And I said, I know, but I mean, can you just imagine what our kids would look like? I was that guy. This is not dating 101. I'm just saying this is what happened for me, okay? Now, As I'm laying on the couch, dreaming about this girl that I just met, that I'm in love with already, what do you think I did in that moment? Did I just go back to playing video games on the couch? Right, did I just get all the feels in here and just think, man, I just, I really love her. Yeah, what would our kids, I mean, did I just keep going and just stay stationary on the couch? No, what did I do? I got up, I went to class the next day, 
and I started figuring out her class schedule. I was that guy. Again, not dating one-on-one, college students don't do this, but this worked for me. I found out what, what route she took to classes, and I began to accidentally bump into her like, hey, hey, what are you doing here? I began to make her mixtapes. Again, back in the day, don't do this now. But I made a CD, a burn CD of my faves, and I found her mailbox on campus, and I put it in there. Right? Now, why did I do all that? Why did I get up off the couch? Why did I make some CDs? Why did I go to the effort of trying to talk to her so much that I, I realized where she went on campus and was a creep? Why did I do all that? Because I love that girl. Because I was drawn to that girl. Because she made an impact in my life just by, by giving me a smile and a wave. She's amazing. You should meet my wife if you haven't already. I got up and moved because something changed in my heart, in my head, that affected my hands. Right? I, I couldn't just stay on the couch. Listen, as we talk about good works for the Christian, it's like that, but way bigger, but infinitely greater. That, that Jesus has loved you in the midst of your sin when you didn't deserve it. Scripture says while you were still weak at just the right time, Christ died for you. That he gave his very life on your behalf for your sin. He rose again in power to reconcile you to himself. When you were far, when you were in sin, when you had no interest in him. That's the kind of love that Jesus has for you. And when you meet that God, when you engage him, when you just see him, that does something. And it's not just some feels. It's not just, oh, yeah, I love Jesus. Oh, do you believe in Jesus? Yeah, I grew up in church. <laughs> No, you step out. You're like, man, Jesus did this for me. Jesus loves me. Man, I want to extend that love to others. Does anybody else know about this? Like Jesus loves you right where you are, not as you should be. Like I'm going to go out. I'm going to do some things, some things, get my hands dirty, some good works so people can see the love of Jesus in and through me. The grace of Jesus that I've received through me to go out to others, that's good works. You need to know, listen, as we look at good works, it's not like good works in the world. It's different. That good works for the Christian always flows out of good news. It's not just some things to do. It's not a to-do list. No, it's a love relationship that you can't get enough of. So you have to go and say, hey, you got to hear this. You got to see this. And so we do good works because they flow out of the good news that we've experienced. And Jesus, we can't stay still. Love never stands still. It moves. That's when we say love moves. That's good works flowing from good news. That's the kind of good works Jesus is talk, talking about. And so two questions for you this morning. Who is God inviting you to love? Who in your sphere of influence, family member, friend, coworker? that God is inviting you to love. He's put them in your path. So you would take the love. It doesn't terminate on you. It's not just about you. 
He wants to work through you to that coworker, to that friend, to that neighbor, to that person you're thinking, man, I know I should say something. He seemed like he was struggling, but I was scared to do it. I knew I should pray for him or ask him how I could pray for him. Jesus is putting that person in your path so you can do good works to show that love. Who is that for you? The second question is, how is God inviting me to love? What are you going to do? Are you going to pray for him? Are you going to invite him to Unite Phoenix, our once-a-month serve event, to serve the city, to be the hands and feet of Jesus? It just happened yesterday. It happens once a month. We serve the city because God has served us. Are you going to show up early on a Sunday like I think about 25 people were standing on the sidewalk for an hour in the Phoenix sun outside these gates because we couldn't get in this morning. Why? Just to complete a task list? Or because they've received the love of Jesus, they want you to hear about it. And so we'll get up and we'll set up and we'll figure out things as, as we're late getting in and we'll crank this thing out, which they did. Amazing job. These are the good works Jesus is talking about. How is God inviting you? into that. A couple simple ways. You're thinking, I don't know if I can serve and do all these things. I don't know if I can lead a Bible study. One thing everybody can do today, right when you leave here, it involves lunch. At lunch, when the waiter gives you the check, whether it was good service, hopefully it was bad service, and you give them the biggest tip you've ever given anyone. Somebody named Jeff Vanderstelt, author and pastor, calls this gospel tipping. Why? Because even in something as small as a tip, right, that you're expressing the love that Jesus has for you, especially if they didn't deserve the tip, especially if they deserved a dollar tip and you gave $10. Why? Because even just doing that, you're saying, hey, this is how Jesus has loved me, that I, that I was horrible service then my heart is wicked before God. But he gave me everything. He gave me Jesus, an infinite, eternal relationship with the God of the universe when I didn't deserve it, when I didn't care, when I was indifferent, when I would reject him. And he gave you Jesus. And so you, you give to others, even if it's a big, fat tip. Right? And you don't take the ticket and be like, hey, just, just so you know, take care of it. You, know, like, you don't let them know about it. You just do it, right? Those are the good works that flow out of good news. That's something everybody can do today as we leave here. The last part of the progression, as light shines, as we see good works, is God's glory. Maybe some of you are listening to this and you're thinking, well, Tim, how, how is this not just a nonprofit or social justice or being a good person? Like, I know a lot of people who, they do tip big. They, they serve in their community. They're just really nice. How is this different? It's different because of the glory of God. That our works don't stop with us, they point to God. And as you look at this, here's what's interesting. It doesn't say God. Do you notice that? It says Father. This is the first reference to Father in the New Testament. We, we have a lot of kids in our church, a lot of them. I love them all. Different sizes, different shapes, different ages. I love all our kids, right? But there's three kids that I love a little bit differently. There's three kids that, that resemble me more than any other kids in this church. Right, they look a little bit like me. They look more like their mom, thank God for that. <laughs> but they look a little bit like me. Like if you saw them running around, you'd be like, I think that's Pastor Tim's kids. 
They act a little bit like me when they're doing good things, right? <laughs> but they look a little bit like me. They act a little bit like me. Why? Because those three kids, they're my kids. Because I'm their father. You see, what Jesus is saying is very personal. That when we live like this, when we do good works that flow out of good news, when we show the love of Jesus to the world, we are reflecting our Father because that's what He does. And then other people, light shines, they see that, and they begin to say, how do I get in on that? And what Jesus says is that they begin to give glory to your Father also. They begin to give their life to Jesus also because of your example in their life. They give their life to Jesus. They're adopted in this family, and then they start to look like God, the Father, also. It's a very personal picture that Jesus paints. We're not a nonprofit. I'm not calling you to be a good person. I'm calling you to point to the glory of the Father so that other people can be invited into the family to look like the Father as well. How do we relate to the world? Do we immerse in it? Do we exit it? No, we, we engage it. Why? Because we have a Father who loves us that through Jesus, who in John 9 says he's the light of the world, that he illuminates everything for us, how to live, how to pray, how to function, how to know him and make him known. And so we engage just like he engaged. We enter in just like he entered in, to the decay and to the dark. And he moves in and through y'all, you guys, in powerful ways. You are the salt. You are the light. And so I want to give you a quick tool just as we close to help you actually live this out. Uh, that bookmark, you can go ahead and take that out right now. Take that out with me. Looks just like this. And you should have gotten a pen when you walked in. Uh, if you didn't, hopefully somebody near you, you can share one with, uh, with them. If you have a pen in your purse or your pocket, get one out. I have one in my pocket. I can throw it at you if you raise your hand. Uh, just be careful. But this card is just a simple tool to help us get us on this track, right? And so what it is is our mission as a church is to love Jesus, live like Jesus, lead others to Jesus. And so we're going to write down five names or two names, whatever you have, people in your sphere of influence, a coworker, family member, friend, somebody in this church who's just disenfranchised with the church, somebody who doesn't know Jesus, somebody who's not going to a church, and somebody in the world that we can be salt and light to. That you could just take this card. We made it a bookmark so you can slip it in your Bible so that every time you open your Bible, you see it and you at least pray for them. Some of you are, are hearing about good works and, and all these things are like, I don't know. I'm not that strong in my faith. I don't have good words. I don't know if I can do this. Everybody can pray. And so we're going to start there, right? And be the salt and be the light of the earth as Jesus called us to. This is just one simple tool, tool to get on the track because, listen, there is no plan B. You are plan A. God is using you. He will use you to engage the world. What if that happened? 
What if all of us in here wrote down five names? How would God increase our impact, increase the love of Jesus, the life of Jesus in our community? How many people on October 15th would be getting dunked in water, getting baptized, because we said, hey, we're going to be the salt and light of the earth. We're going to point people to Jesus, and other people who don't know him yet are going to receive his love and then glorify their father and celebrate that on October 15th through baptism. Because we start to pray for people around us. And so I want to give you an opportunity to do that now. So we're just going to take a minute. You pray right where you are. You write down a couple names. You write down five names. I'm going to give you a minute to do that. And then I'm going to close this in prayer. Take a minute to do that now. Thank you that you have called us to such a great purpose, and I pray that you would help us to fulfill that purpose, that you would empower us in ways we didn't know we could live or talk or, or serve to fulfill this purpose, to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world, and the Phoenix Bible Church would be a church like that in the city of Phoenix. God, I pray for these men and women. I pray for um, just their sin, their sickness, their strife, for my sin, my sickness, my strife, uh, that, that we would know this morning without a shadow of a doubt that you died for that, you rose for that, to give us the same power that raised Christ from the dead so that we could live like this. So I, I pray against any evil that would just bind this this morning that would cause doubt and think, oh, I can't do that. That's for other people. That we would collectively step out in the power of the spirit and the love of Jesus and we would be this kind of church and you would help us and you would change this city for the glory of the Father. It's all for your glory. It's all for you and so we give this time to you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.